You're listening to the Sticks in the Sits podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, we've got a little bit more Stanley Cup final to talk about. The good guys are up 3 nothing <laughs> on Sunday night. But uh, a lot of a lot of uh, news going around the league right now. Before we get into that, I want to know, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. And like you said, Stanley Cup playoffs... Basically, the offseason is already starting right now before the playoffs are even done. This is this is basically a hockey fan's dream come true at this point, is it not? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think you and I talked about how, you know, Montreal winning might be an absolute nightmare for Leaf fans. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of those ones where you feel like you're falling off a cliff, you jolt awake and all, all of a sudden... You know, you're back in, in, in bed, uh, cold sweats, you, you know, mm-hmm. dripping down your face. But uh, fortunately for us, we don't we don't want to we don't want to bash on the on the Montreal Canadiens too, too much. But uh, <laughs> uh, fortunately for us, the Tampa Bay Lightning are up three nothing in that series. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, it, we're we're in full force here heading into the off season. We got a lot to talk about uh so as as we mentioned last week, we're going to kind of run through this pretty quickly so that we can get to Maple Leaf Talk for all of our uh, listeners that tune in weekly with us. Um, but before we do that, I do want to mention we also have a guest, Tyler Book, on uh, the show this week. Uh, Tyler is was the 17th overall pick in the U18 OHL draft for the Windsor Spitfires. Um Kind of had a redemption year this year. Um, you know, wasn't selected in the U16, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know was given a, another opportunity and, and rode with it. And um, you know, if you listen to this kid, you you said it. He's he's a guy that talks very quickly, but he's straight to the point. Um, has a lot to say, a lot that uh, you know. Obviously, he wants to work on and has goals that he wants to accomplish as uh, he he pursues a, a career in hockey. So. Uh, great kid, a lot of fun to talk about, and, and we're hoping that he uh, cracks that Windsor lineup and we can get him back on the show very quickly um, as as he gets his OHL career underway. But before we get to our Maple Leaf talk, we have a little bit of uh, fun stuff to run through. Obviously, um, the NHL news is always thriving; it never sleeps. It's like it's like Vegas. That's why they went to Vegas is because, you know, the NHL never sleeps and nor does Vegas. So that's that's why we're doing that. But um, I, I don't think we mentioned it last week. Uh, we did a lot of talk about uh, the NHL awards and just a quick few uh, notes here as well. Adam Fox ended up winning the Norris Trophy. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if. Sorry. Yeah, the Norris Trophy, the Calder Trophy yes. went to Kirill Kaprasov, as we talked mm-hmm. about last week. And then uh, the one I, I thought was pretty crazy was the Vesna Trophy went to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. And the reason I say it's crazy is, one, it's his first Vesna Trophy, which is, I mean, for what he's done in his career, just unbelievable. But on top of that, he's a guy that for two straight seasons has been pulled in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That, to me, really sends a message to Vegas. Um, obviously, we're not going to get 
too, too into that, but um, just something that came to mind is as we were doing the opening of this show is that, you know, here's a guy that, that has been pulled twice, you know, his team hasn't made it through and yet he's still a Vesna trophy winner. Yeah. I guess what we should remember is it's based on the regular season, not the actual playoffs for these awards. But like you said, if it was counting the playoffs, then maybe it would come into effect but given the how dominant he was with the Knights during the regular season, and I, it could have gone to both him or Vasilevsky. I personally would have thought that Vasilevsky would have taken it. But given the numbers, given how he stood on his head, made highlight reel saves, Flower does what Flower does. I mean, he's a, basically, when you're looking at the Olympic roster for next year, he's got to be at the top of your list. Um, alongside with Carey Price, who's still, you know, having a great playoffs himself, but at the same time, yeah, Flurry just keeps on getting it done. And the fact that it's his first Vesna compared to past seasons where he has like, you know, gone on to win championships and stuff like that. That's crazy for me. Yeah. I think one of the most noteworthy things is, is that is, um, you know, if, if, if he wasn't already a shoo-in for the hall of fame, which I think you and I both agree that he is, oh, yeah. um, this, this the fact that he now locked into Vesna as well is just amplified the talk that uh, you know Mark Andre Fleury is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So congratulations, to, congratulations to Flower. Hopefully you can get another uh, cup in the books before you uh, you call it quits. But um, yeah, big uh, big news for him. Mm-hmm. On top uh, on top of that, we've had you know a, a trade and a couple signings uh, over the last week. Um, Obviously, this one this one is very interesting. The the Los Angeles Kings acquired um, Victor Arvidsson from the Nashville Predators for two picks. Um, we what makes this interesting is that one. It, I I think it's a great pickup by the LA Kings. I think this is this is kind of where we're seeing the the expansion draft come into play. Um, obviously, you know Nashville can only protect so many players, but uh, I think that's what we're you know we're starting to see that kind of play a role in some of the moves that teams are making. Um, in return, Nashville did get a 2021 second rounder and a 2022 third round pick. I believe both picks were Nashville's uh, Nashville's picks. Um, and what also makes this a noteworthy story is the response by Philip Forsberg on Instagram. Um, what are your thoughts on that real quick? He ain't happy. <laughs> I mean, simple as that with the thumbs down and, you know, the goodbye message to Victor. I mean, they fed off each other. They've been like, you know, really close line. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they were line mates at certain points, but teammates in just in general. I mean, you hate to see that go or see that player go that you built such a strong bond with. And um yeah, I think his message said it all. So he can't be too happy. I don't know if he's we we know that Vegas not Vegas, the Predators were looking to make some moves before they went on that run and make the playoffs. The three players that were untouchable were Ellis, Yossi, and Pecorine. Not even Philip Forsberg was untouchable. So I don't know if this is gonna play into his hand where maybe he doesn't like the direction that this team's going and he could ask for a trade out as well. I don't know, but it is interesting. The kind of message that he did send. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, you talk a little bit about guys, you know, finding their ways out, I guess, um, you know, Forsberg was rumored to be on his, on the move at the trade deadline. Um, obviously Nashville kind of turned things around. They were able to go on a slight run to end, end the season. But, uh, another guy that could be on the move is, um, Duncan Keith. And there's a lot of speculation as to where Keith is going to go. Um, Obviously, there's there's rumors that uh, you know it's family family related. He, the only way he wants to move is to go, you know, Western Canada or 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 to a, a team located in that Western, I guess, hemisphere for for uh, those non geographical uh, oriented people like myself. Um, but uh, no, I, I, there are rumors that the Oilers could be the team that is interested in. in picking up uh, Duncan Keith and, and I mean, what, what an addition this guy would be for, for any club, Um, obviously getting up there in age, but just the leadership, the experience, what he adds, I mean, the value he adds to the team alone. uh, This is a guy who still goes out there and grinds at his age. And um, you know, I, I think there was talk at one point about Vancouver that said, I know that, uh, you know, the Sedins are now in, in the front office in Vancouver, and we all know the history, the long, long history of the Sedins and uh, um, Duncan Keith. So I'd be interested to see if he lands with the Oilers. Um, I do think that one of the major pieces that the Oilers were missing over the over the last couple of seasons is, is on defense. Um, obviously, they added Tyson Berry prior to this season, but um, maybe not the guy that they – they needed he's more of an offensive minded guy but what are your thoughts on on Keith possibly joining McDavid and Leon Draisaitl in in Edmonton um I just want I, I'll get to that in quick in a quick sec but I did find going back to the Victor Arvidsson thing I did find an article from Paul Scribina and Nick Gray from the National Tennis Tennessean saying that Maybe Robert Bertuzzo's double cross check from 2019 played a factor in trading Arvison. And David Poyle said that because of he's had a couple of injuries, um, he said that I think the I think of the one Bertuzzo in St. Louis was just a terrible cross check. I th- I think that really took a lot of effectiveness out of him. So I don't know if the like the injury they were concerned about his injuries that led them to moving him but it's just a thought that i saw in an interesting quote from david poyle about going back to a cross check from two years ago about that that that, um, that is interesting though i mean you're you're basically saying that this guy's no longer effective on your team mm-hmm. um i mean to to say that and then look for value it's just i mean it's an interesting move by poyle and in, in my opinion yeah and if they could, if LA could salvage the goal scoring from 2016-17 to 2018-19, big win for them. But yeah, going back to Keith, um, he would be a great, like you said, he brings the he brings the leadership, he the veteran presence, the cup rings that he has with Chicago. I mean, definitely not a top pairing guy anymore as he's past his prime. Um, and you know, the last few years with the Chicago Blackhawks showed it. And then again, their system's been completely changed the last few seasons and the Hawks have not been the same team, um, compared to when they were with Joel Quenville. Um, I was thinking that maybe point production wouldn't be, would be an issue for him, but if he's just going to be passing pucks to McDavid and Dreisaitl, I mean, then those points are going to go up no matter what we saw. But again, 
Tyson Berry is more offensive minded, but if Duncan Keith is going to be in that second line role, maybe top power play, um, just feeding the puck over to those guys and letting them do the work. I mean, he's definitely going to have a major point total increase over, I believe, the 12 that he has this year. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely going to be a good move for the Oilers. Um I just hope that maybe – I'm not sure if he is going to get to that offensive production, but he's definitely going to bring a lot of attributes and a lot of and a lot of steady defensive play because that was a major issue for them this year where they had the offense, defense failed, goaltending failed. That's a different story. But I do think that he can solidify maybe a top-four role with them if and when he does get traded to the Oilers. Yeah, and so 15 points in 54 games this year. Um, mm-hmm. A guy who over nearly 1,200 career games uh, put up 625 points. So, I mean, his numbers have never been maybe the dominant part of his game. That said, at 37, I mean, this is a guy who was named as one of the 100 greatest players in NHL history. Um, the smarts on him, though. Yeah, so the hockey IQ is more, I think, what we're looking at when you when you talk about a guy like Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's, you know, like I said, the experience, what he's been able to do over his career. Um, he's been in Chicago his entire career since 2005-06 when he made his debut. Um, what he's been able to to do with, with that team, it, it makes me wonder how or if at all this plays into the whole conversation that was had prior to um prior to the season where you know there was a talk there was talk about a rebuild and, and and whether you know these veteran guys wanted to be a part of it and you know i i i think maybe this was a a spot where keith looked at you know this is kind of the the last opportunity and maybe that's why he's willing to move remember there's a lot of guys on this team that had no movement clauses um mm-hmm. And, and and I do believe I could be wrong, but I do believe he he was one of them. So, um, yeah, I mean, and then you, you think about the storyline with with Chicago this offseason so far. It's just it has not been a good offseason for for them. And you wonder how much of that leads to a guy like him wanting to just get away from the distractions that uh, could be surrounding this team in the upcoming months. Definitely. And I think that another thing to point out, yeah, his cap hits 5.5, but actual base salary for the next two seasons is 2.1 for 21-22 and 1.5 for 22-23. So that's definitely going to go in favor of the Oilers if that's the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, sticking with the Blackhawks for just a moment, uh, Jonathan Taves also released a, a big message this uh, this week. Yes. Regarding his health and uh, where, you know, kind of what he was dealing with this this season. Um, obviously, he didn't play at all prior to the season. He um, he went down and, and uh, you know, it was kind of a mystery as to what he was dealing with. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, the way I understand it, is that basically his immune system was was ba- essentially shutting down on him. Um, his recovery wasn't the same. Uh, it was it was basically like he had been beaten and bruised so so much and so often, and his body was just fatigued and tired and and breaking down that it wouldn't allow him to recover in the same sense. And yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, go on Twitter, check out Jonathan Taves. He explains it much better than I'll ever be able to explain it. But 
I mean, what what a tough what a tough way to spend the year for a guy that obviously loves the game, obviously loves to be in the dressing room with the guys, um, and you know, be be a part of that team. And and for him to to have to go through what he went through, um, you know, tough tough for him. But glad to see him back on the ice, skating with the with the boys, and and, and really, you know, getting his feet back under him. Uh, hopefully, in a, for a return next season. Yeah, no, it was very scary how that came to light. Um, everyone was questioning what was going on, but um, Taze did mention that um, I'm reading something from Sean O'Leary posted on the score that he does think that his bout with COVID-19 in February, early February, may have precipitated, quote, quote precipitated his ensuing illness of what he's affecting right now. And we know we've been dealing with COVID for, you know, a year and a bit right now, almost a year and a half. And we know the long haul symptoms. We know the effect that it can have on mental health and everything like that. So it does take its impact on you. And even if the fact that, you know, he was in September before games were even, you know, closed is interesting to me that he had this beforehand and then he's still feeling the effects later on, later into 2020. So those long haul symptoms does play a factor. Yeah, no, absolutely. We saw with Marco Rossi and now, you know, if in fact it did play a role in, in what Taves went through. I mean, you know, it's it just a reminder that y- you could be you could be an incredibly fit athlete um, and it can still run you right into the ground. So um, like I said, glad to see him back. Hopefully, uh, hopefully things turn out well for him and he we're able to see him back on the ice with the Blackhawks uh, Jersey on again next season. Um, Just some quick hits before we, uh, we get into a little bit uh, more of the bigger stories. Um, Alex Tangay is in as Detroit, an assistant coach in Detroit um kevin adams and and you all know how we love to uh, bash the buffalo sabers here but kevin adams did note that the team's stance has not changed on um jack eichel's recovery or injury uh i guess prognosis in the way that they're going to go about uh um, dealing with that so again um let the jack eichel trade talk continue because it will not change until until that guy is moved out of town and and uh you know we we could potentially be seeing that at some point um the phil kessel the sweepstakes that's right the, the eichel sweepstakes uh phil kessel could potentially be on the move out of arizona um again the lease are still paying part of his cap i believe for one more year um yes. 1.2 million um, so again, another guy who you could get for a, a good dollar amount, um, when it comes to base salary, uh, worth noting if you're a draft guru or a draft, uh, fanatic like myself and Peter, um, Maddie Beneers and Owen Power have both noted that n- neither one of them have met with the Buffalo Sabres, even though the, the meetings are over zoom right now. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit tougher to plan. Neither one of them have met with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, both are probably going to be heading back to Michigan for another year. So whether that's playing into the Sabres' interest or lack thereof, um, that's something worth noting as we move into draft season here. 
Um, could a guy like William Eklund be the the number one overall pick and, and really throw all of us um, projectors, I guess, over, you know, just under the bus with our with our guesses here. But uh, that's that's one definitely that uh, people should keep an eye on. Yeah. But here's the thing, too, with Eklund. I if he's going to return back to Sweden for another year, you don't want to rush him as well. So you don't want to rush a power. Don't want to rush Beniers. You don't want to rush Eklund because all the all the eyes are on Buffalo right now to make sure you draft and develop properly. Yeah. How many years, though, have we in, in recent memory, have we looked back on a draft and said, like, you know, at least one of the top three is not in an NHL lineup to start the year? Yeah, that, I, that, that's what's making this draft so interesting to, to people like ourselves who are throwing out rankings and, and such. Um, it, it's going to. It's going to be an interesting year because I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to see one of those top three guys in an NHL lineup if that's the case. Not anytime soon, no. So, I mean, keep an eye on that, like I said. But um, definitely worth noting if you're if you're an NCAA fan. Um, Mikhail Grigorenko is headed back to the KHL. See ya. Have fun. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the Continental Hockey League. Um, obviously, uh, didn't cut it again over here in the NHL, so... Um, yeah, sayonara. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Coyotes also named Andre Tierney uh, as their head coach. What a year this guy has had. What a year this guy has had. Um, you know, behind the bench internationally on a couple of occasions. Now here he is getting the head coaching job in Arizona. Um, just really uh, an unbelievable year for him. Um Inheriting a rough situation in Arizona, if you ask me, especially with talks of of Connor Garland possibly on his way out. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, Turney could be in for a rough year. The question will be whether or not Arizona will give him the time to try and solve the issues that that team's going to have. There's quite a bit of issues down in Arizona right now, and I think it's going to be a couple years before you can actually see the impact that tyranny is going to have on this team. Like you said, Kessel's probably going to be on the move. There's talks that Connor Garland isn't happy um, and that his contract situation hasn't gone well because he's an RFA. Oliver Ekman Larson is possibly possibly on the way out and his $8.25 million contract. That's going to be tough to move still again. Um, yeah, th- th- there's, there's a lot of questions for uh, Arizona right now. Darcy Kemper has one more year, 4.5 anti rant is a UFA bunch of other defensemen are UFAs. It's, uh, it's not going to be fun in Arizona. And, but if you give Andre tyranny a really solid team, um, we saw what he did. He coached both Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn on the 67s team, um, Team Canada, World Juniors, and also internationally what he did with the team that he had at the World Hockey Championships. This guy's a really great coach, so they no doubt have a great hockey mind to lead the team forward. It's just a matter of getting him the players to do his job. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be, like I said, that'll be the interesting part is whether or not they can hold on to this guy and really give him the opportunity to build this team. Because let's face it, Arizona doesn't have draft picks this year, um, mm-hmm. at least no high, high round ones, early round ones. 
Um, and, and they're in a situation that, you know, the pipeline isn't as promising as it once was. So, uh, like I said, he's walking into a tough, tough uh, opportunity here, but it's an opportunity nonetheless. And it'll be interesting to see what he can do with, uh, with the team that's put in front of him because we've seen him work magic. Um, and, and if he's able to do that in Arizona, this is the opportunity for him to really make a name for himself at the NHL level. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we see it all the time. Once you're in, you're in, it's just a matter of finding a way to, to, to stick there. So, um, you know, congratulations to him and best of luck in Arizona. Definitely. Before we hit the, the, uh, Stanley Cup final here. There are two signings that we want to talk about. Uh, both eight-year deals. Um, both noteworthy for us as Lee fans because it kind of touches on what we could expect for a Hyman deal if, in fact, he does decide to sign back with Toronto. Um, the first is uh, Joel uh, Erickson Eck with Minnesota. He signed an eight-year, $42 million deal. Um the cap hit is $5.25 million, um, and the base salary is $5.25 million. What's interesting about this one is that the signing bonuses right now show as zero. Um, whereas, you know, obviously with us in Toronto, we, under, we, we see a lot more signing bonus on these contracts than we would normally uh, with other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, big deal for him, obviously, eight years, you, you've got that uh, – you've got that um, – stability the knowing that you're going to be there knowing that you're going to get paid um but also i mean young guy obviously young guy uh you know given given an opportunity to to really solidify himself in that minnesota wild um uh lineup and and for me the way i'm thinking about it is that you know this is one of bill garen's first major moves uh in in the, the minnesota front office um, so yeah, I mean, for me, 24 years old, um, had a solid year last year. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to hear what you think about that. But before we get to that, I'll let you touch on both at the same time here. Um, RNH, Ryan Nugent Hopkins in Edmonton also signed an eight year deal. Um, again, in the same type of range, again, he's, he's a 28 year old, um, obviously on that team, you're not one of the studs, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, McDavid and, and Dreisaitl are, but $41 million, 5.125 cap hit and 5.125, um, AAV, $5 million base salary the first year, 5.25 the second year, and then it jumps to 6.25 before falling back down to 4 million in the fifth year of the contract. That's when the signing bonuses kick in for for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So, what makes this one interesting is very comparable to a Zach Hyman. Mm-hmm. So, does this hurt Hyman's chances in the open market? Considering that Erickson Eck is a very underrated player, but has that aggressive mindset on both sides of the puck, defensively and offensively. He's a center, Nugent Hawkins, same mentality, both center and wing. I think it does, considering the fact that Zach Hyman is that gritty in-your-face winger, but he could be utilized in any situation. And 
obviously he had he was on pace for he had more points than both and he was on pace to um sort of uh, sort of uh, I'm stumbling over my words match his career total or mm-hmm. surpass it there we go yep. um had a trouble spitting that out for some reason the but um yeah it, it it's interesting considering that you know Brian Nugent Hopkins had you know hit the 60 point mark back to back um given his ability to be sort of that underrated player obviously when big david and dry settle came in he the picture he was uh changed because he wasn't their go-to guy anymore but still an important piece in that second line role 28 right now the contract's still good for about four or five years maybe in the six years it's going to come back to bite him but you know what it's still good it's still great value for both him and even erickson who's listed as the top center for the wild even if he gets to the two C, that's still great value for him, considering that he had 29 points and 30 this past season. Now, for Hyman, it it's hard to see him get more than what these two are gonna get based on their style of play. Yeah, Zach Hyman is good, will probably get more points than both. But at the same time, again, his injuries, his age, that plays more into Toronto's favor with these two signings, given how they were just over five million. And I wouldn't sign Zach Hyman for more than five. Maybe if you want to go five point one, okay. But I still probably would go four point five two five as opposed to five to five point two. Um Considering that, you know, there was talks that he was going to command 5.56 north of that range, it does hurt his chances because of the fact that he is an older player. These guys are younger and, you know, it, well, Nugent Hopkins is slightly younger, just one year compared to Hyman, who's 29 right now. It's going to be tough to see him command that kind of money that he wants because right now I think the market has been set for both players and for a Zach Hyman type of player as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the the tough part with Hyman, too, is you don't want to give him the length either. I think the eight years, mm-hmm. um, even with Nugent Hopkins, you're pushing 36 at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not looking at eight years for Hyman. Can you get him at five for maybe 5.1? Possibly. Yeah. Um, do you? I guess it, it's going to come down to whether the Leafs do acquire somebody like a Connor Garland, um, who can be kind of that feisty type of player, but with a little bit more offensive upside. Um, I, again, we're going to get into that with the Leaf talk, but I do think that these two contracts are very comparable to what we're going to see for Zach Hyman. And mm-hmm. uh, whether it's with the Leafs or not, I think when he does – officially sign we'll be able to kind of look back on these two contracts as as a leading role player in that uh that discussion so um obviously congratulations to the two players i mean to to lock up lock yourselves up for eight years yes. uh, you know you've really solidified yourself uh with those organizations and you know best of luck to both or, or both individuals as they uh, as they pursue the, the remainder of their nhl careers mm-hmm. as well um one more um, note before we get into the Stanley Cup final, uh, and this one, this one's tough um, for me, especially um, David Pasternak and his 
I believe it's his girlfriend, um, lost their child. Um, and Mm -hmm. he, he posted, he posted on, uh, I believe it was Instagram. Um, just, uh, you know, a, a quick note just to, just to ask for, for privacy as they, as they obviously try and get through this, this impossible time right now. Um, and I, I say that it's tough for me. Uh, My, my wife and I lost uh, two children before we were able to have our little guy. So, uh, I mean, I, I never like, unlike Pasternak, I, I never did get to, to meet those, those two, but, um, for him, I mean, I can only, I can only imagine six days old. Um, you know, if you, if you listen to any of the interviews he did, um, the excitement that he had to become a, a father was, I mean, like not like nothing else. It was, you know, it's that feeling that's just, it overwhelms you, but it, it, it really grounds you at the same time. And, um, you know, you could hear it when he talked about the opportunity to become a dad, how excited he was. And, you know, their little one, uh, his girlfriend, Rebecca Rolson, um, gave birth to Vigo on uh, June 20, uh, sorry, gave birth to, to Vigo and uh, Vigo passed away on June 23rd at just six days old. Um, as I mentioned, Pasternak did put a uh, message out on Instagram that read, uh, we have an angel watching over us and we call him son. You will be loved forever. Please respect our privacy as we are going through these heartbreaking times. Um, yeah, I mean, all I can do, all I can say right now is obviously, you know, um, sending positive thoughts to, mm-hmm. to David and Rebecca as they go through this because uh, there, there really is no, there's no answer. And 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 lean on each other and lean on the, the people close to you um, to get through this because it is going to be one of the hardest things that you ever go through. And uh, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's all I have. Yeah. I'm just going to be quick with this too, cause this is heartbreaking and knowing, telling your story and hearing this as well with Pasternak, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, what, what, what unfolded. And again, you just mentioned it, you're anticipating the happiest moments that parents will have with new life. And then the unthinkable happens. I mean, I, I don't have kids, and if I were in that spot, I, I, I can't imagine what the pain and sorrow would be like. Um, just gone way too soon. My heart goes out to them. The, the tough time. You, again, we say this every single time. You, you never want to see this happen. You hate to see it happen. And again, thoughts are with both him, his wife, and his family at this moment. Yeah, folks, don't forget that these people are people. Um, mm-hmm. For for them to go through what they're going through, uh, yeah, there 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 really isn't any words. Any None. any parent any parent knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, uh, we are going to carry on the show um, as I get over this little frog in my throat. Um, Take your time, man. Stanley Cup Finals. We are we are recording Sunday night. The Stanley Cup Finals is at three nothing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, 
Pat Maroon is on the verge of a three-peat. As you mentioned before we got started here tonight, he also had possibly the chirp of the year <laughs> when talking to Josh Anderson. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it went viral on, on Twitter. Um, but uh, if you want to share that with us, um, I'd be more than happy to hear it again. Uh, I do not. I wish I had the Twitter account. Uh, my phone's charging up and it's not near me. Um, all I know is that the video, um, it's just him going back and forth. And you just hear him yell out, you have the same amount of points as me. That's sad. Or something to that effect. I, I can remember word for word, but the fact that he was chirping at Josh Anderson for having the same amount of points as him with the amount of money that he's getting paid, where he is in the lineup and how much he's leaned on. he I believe he only has four points and Pat Maroon only has three throughout the whole entire playoffs. So, yeah, that chirp is very warranted. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's a foregone conclusion. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to say it. It's a foregone cl- conclusion that Tampa Bay will eventually take this. Um, I do hope that they don't give up a win because I'm promised a smoked cheesecake if they win in anything but five games. So win in four, win in six, win in seven. I want my smoked cheesecake. Whoa, whoa. There's smoked cheesecake? Smoked cheesecake. Is that have, a thing? That's a thing. So – on wow. a smoker, on a smoker, and you smoke it with the wood pellets on the smoker. That is something I would love to try out. That was part of a bet that I made with a colleague. That wow. and I, and I got I got uh, twenty bucks per win for Tampa Bay. Wow! So yeah, not, gonna, not bad, eh? Not Sitting bad. At Eighty bucks in a smoked cheesecake. Ooh. So I did find the Twitter account. It's at TBL Taylor who posted that Pat Maroon is so funny with the clip and it's been viewed over 102,000 times. There you go, folks. There Check go. out that Twitter account and be sure to listen to the chirp of the year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, before we jump away from this, anything you want to take away from this series? I know a lot of people right now are calling it possibly the most boring uh, series of the entire playoffs potentially the most boring Stanley Cup final in recent memory. Um, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on Montreal and what they've, what they've done thus far? I mean, they won three series. I mean, whether you like it or not, they deserve to be there. They beat out the Maple Leafs. They beat out the Jets. They beat out the Knights. Three high-flying offensive teams that we've talked about extensively, especially in the last episode. Um they're there for a reason, whether you like it or not. I mean, I, I don't like it because, you know, I have my whole entire family, you know, tripping at me nonstop. But at the same time, they are – I would be saying this if this was the Maple Leafs. I don't think the Maple Leafs would probably win a game if they were going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning because they are too complete. They're, they're the reigning Stanley Cup champs for a reason. There's a reason why they made it back here with the roster that they have. And don't give me the BS about, oh, they're $18 million over the cap. That's on the NHL, <laughs> not the Lightning. I mean, let, let's face it. Anybody would use that to their advantage, no matter what. Until they fix it, it is what it is. Move on. The fact that they're there with this team 
even if they were below the cap, I still think they would have made it through. Like, there is no doubt about it. The way that Kucherov is playing, the depth that they got from Coleman, Goudreau, Maroon, Ross Colton looks really good out there. Um, Alex Kalorn out with an injury. He takes their spot. Anthony Sorelli stepping up. Braden Point was making history throughout the whole entire playoffs with his consecutive goal streak. And Andre Pilata scored some really key goals. They have the depth. Um, if you want to say it's boring because the Habs are getting swept, fine, go ahead, whatever. But they won three series. Again, Toronto hasn't won one. So they, welcome to my TED Talk. Yeah, I was gonna throw the Dougie, <laughs> I was gonna throw at you that Dougie Hamilton just called me and and told me uh, eighteen million dollars over the cap. But uh, I mean, you kind of you kind of hammered that one home uh you're right i mean until until the nhl fixes that every team's going to use it to their advantage mm-hmm. um and, and you know you can sit there and bitch and moan about it but at the end of the day i mean it's right there in the rule book it's that loophole we talked yeah. about it before it's the patrick kane loophole that many teams have used over the last many years uh and, and it's it, it falls on the nhl to find a way to shut it down so for me i believe I believe they touched up on it at their at Gary Bettman's meeting, the loophole, and if there were going to be changes. And I don't think that, you know, they're working on it. At They've been working on it since. Yeah, at this time, there there is no so, closure on that loophole. None. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like, it is what it is. Do I love seeing the same teams win over and over again? No. Um, do I love that, you know, Stamkos gets to be out there for this one? Absolutely. Um, the, the Tampa Bay mayor actually just came out and said that she wants them to lose game, uh, game four so that, uh, they can win it back (laughs) in Tampa Bay. I mean, I don't know if you want to give them that, that opportunity risk. Yeah. That's like, that's like the Leafs losing in overtime in game five and, and, uh, going on to lose game six and seven. If you want to give them that that open door, I mean that's that's you know all the power to you. But this is a team that can turn it on very quickly. Carey Price, all he needs mm-hmm. is a little bit of confidence, and he's back at at you know his early place uh, playoff form. And I, I mean, I if it's me, I'm closing it out as soon as I can. Get it done. Raise the cup. Get your name on there again, and let's move on with it. But uh, yeah, you went there with that leaf thing. <laughs> Man, I know, I know. I was sitting on it. I'm like, <laughs> split second decision. I had to go with it. You know, I, I talked yeah, to you about yeah. it before. TSN turning points. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see a turning point in this series, that's when you know Montreal's got got a little bit of uh, pizzazz, um, you know, back in their step. But um, definitely, it, it's exactly Tampa hasn't given that given them that opportunity. Uh, yeah. They haven't allowed them to get back into games, and 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 that is what you know, has, has really closed the door for Montreal. And you also mentioned that you don't want to see the same teams over and over again, but it just goes to show, I mean, yeah, the last time it happened was Pittsburgh 2015, 16 and 16, 17, but it just goes to show that in the salary cap era, it's hard to win back to back championships. And yes, there's a bit of a gap in between, but even before then, it's hard to put together a dynasty and a dynasty. I think it's because it's classified as, you know, five straight wins. To be honest, if you're in a salary cap era and you win back to back, I'm considering you as a dynasty. This Tampa Bay lightning team is a dynasty. Yeah. I think we, we, uh, revitalized that, uh, 
that definition a few years back when, mm-hmm. you know, Chicago won three in 10 years, I believe it was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for them to win two in a row, to be perennial contenders every year, um, obviously that core is going to be together again next next season. Um, you've got guys like Hedman and Vasilevsky and Stamkos all locked up. Um, you know, this we're going to be talking about this team for a long time to come. So for them to win two in a row and, and continue to push that, uh, you know, let a lot of the dynasty talk to, to begin because this this is a solid team and we've seen it. Doesn't matter that they're 18 million over the cap. What they've been able to do, what they've been able to add every season, um, you know, they lost some key pieces. They still, they still were able to get it done. So, yeah, like I said, Sunday night up 3-0. I can, I can all but guarantee that uh, by the next time we record, next time we meet up, um, we'll, we'll be talking about a, a Tampa Bay Stanley Cup win. So. Um, yeah, it is what it is, Montreal. It was a good run. Um, no, no, no hate towards you, but uh, I, I do have to say that I'm glad that uh, you guys won't be seeing a Stanley Cup raised in Montreal anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. All righty, Peter. Before we head over to the Maple Leafs talk, I want to throw it over to our guest Tyler Book. Like I mentioned in the in the opening of the show, Tyler was a great kid to talk to. Uh, had his redemption season, and uh, we hope that Windsor will be the home to the Book Show once uh, once the OHL gets back underway in uh, in a couple of months here. But uh, yeah, let's throw it over to Tyler right now. Folks, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the Sticks in the Six podcast, Tyler Book, the 17th overall pick in the under-18 OHL draft to the Windsor Spitfires. Tyler, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess we'll start off. Um, you know, the, I was put in touch with you. Uh, obviously, you were passed over in the under-16 uh, draft and and got a little redemption here in the under-18 draft. What What was that feeling like for you? Yeah, well, obviously, it was very disappointing, U16. I worked hard, I thought, and it just didn't turn out. But coming into the U18 season, I just stayed focused, uh, worked on becoming a better goalie, paid attention to details, and it just feels great that it paid off. Yeah, Andrew just alluded to that you were passed over the first time. Do you feel that with the way that things went this season, uh, talking about your uh, off-camera, your modified season, you feel that what's happened with the pandemic and everything that happened last season, you were more hungry for uh, opportunity to show your, what you're made of? Yeah, obviously, I just felt really hungry this year. I wanted to just get everything I could out on the table because over the offseason, I thought I made huge steps forward. And so I just wanted to take advantage of every opportunity I got. Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of a wacky couple seasons, obviously, with the way that, uh, you know, things got shut down and all that stuff. But, I mean, mentally, how do you stay focused with something like that, especially in the situation that you were in? Yeah, I just I just wanted to make sure I stayed focused, made sure, because I knew it was, everything's going to come back to normal eventually. So I just got to try to stay on the top of my game and stay up there as high as I can, set myself apart. Every year, AAA players, you know, they play a full season. They get to the playoffs. There, there's a lot going on in the season. And again, with the pandemic, the transition uh, may have been thrown off for some players. Um, what do you think that transition is going to be like from the AAA level to the OHL this season? Hey, you know, uh, everything's just going to be quicker, faster. Uh, players are going to be smarter. They're going to be stronger. 
So I just got to make sure I stay as focused as I can and just stay composed and just make sure that I'm always on my game. What was the, uh, I mean, obviously you were getting set to play with the, uh, the junior Knights this year, um, jumping over from the Brantford 99ers. What was the transition there? Uh, was there a story behind it or just looking for a different opportunity? Yeah, I was just looking for a different opportunity for uh, new places and to meet some new faces and all the coaches were great. And it was just like, I never even transitioned over that year. It's like, I've always been there. Speaking of the Brantford 99ers, uh, you were teammates with Gavin Bryant, um, who we've had on the show a couple of times. What was it like playing with him? And uh, do you feel that the competition is going to be a little more uh, stiff between you two once you get to the OHL? Watching Gavin play was unbelievable. He was, he was just so great. He was just an unbelievable player, unbelievable teammate too. I just was so happy to have him as a teammate. And I can't wait to play against him and show him what I got now. Uh, the general manager for the Windsor Spitfires, Bill Bowler, mentioned that one of the biggest things for him in drafting you at the U18 was that uh, he wants depth on the team. Now, obviously, there's a there's a massive depth chart for the for the Windsor Spitfires, both on the back end and in net. What do you have to do to separate yourself and and make yourself stand out? I mean, obviously, you've done it to try try and get over that U16 hump and get to where you are now, what do you have to continue to progress with to get to that point uh, to, to essentially show Bowler and the rest of the Spitfires just what they, they have in, in uh, drafting Tyler Book 17th overall? Yeah, I'm just going to continue to work hard and get quicker and faster, stronger. And when I come into camp, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to stay hungry like I have been for the last couple of years. And I'm just going to try to set myself apart as best I can and earn a spot on the team. What's the scouting report on your game so far? Like, what's, the, what, what's your style of play like, and who would you compare yourself to? Uh, I like to stay big and agile, and I like to be competitive, but I also like to let the puck come to me instead of going out and getting it. And I will never give up, and I like to try to be the hardest worker. And if I had to compare myself, uh, I'd probably say, like, Jacob Markstrom. I really like the way that he plays out in Calgary. Obviously a bigger kid. I, I believe they have you at 6'4", 177 pounds roughly. So, so you're not a small guy by any means. What's, uh, what is your mentality in the net? When you're, when you're trying to fill that net, how is it? Are you more of a butterfly style? What, what kind of style are you, do you play? Yeah, well, I like to stay out and competitive, but I also like to stay as on my feet as much as I can. Uh, Terry Wickham, he's taught me to be patient on my feet and trust my abilities. But I'd like to stay on my feet. But if I get into the butterfly, I don't scramble. I like to just stay calm and composed. Alluding to what Andrew mentioned before about the competition in nets, um, what, what do you have to do in order to separate yourself and make sure that you probably get one of the uh, starting roles come the, uh, September, October? I just have to stay composed, stay competitive. Uh, don't let any pucks by me. Stay, get in front of as many as I can and just not – to stay hungry for this season with uh, everything being kind of shut down here um what did you do just to stay not not only mentally in shape but just in shape in terms of game um i guess game situations i mean obviously you have to kind of maintain that throughout the year as well throughout the off season but this whole year has been just 
out, out of this world. Right. So, I mean, what, what did you have to do to kind of stay in game shape? Yeah, well, I've been with my trainer trying to get out as many times as I can with them, like three times a week we're going, uh, just one-on-one. And when we were playing with the U18 Junior Knights, uh, we had quite a few practices, and we even got lucky enough to play some games against Elgin, where we split our teams up, being both in the same health region. So that, I mean, it wasn't the same kind of game, but it was able to keep your feet underneath you. Andrew Parrott from the Owen Sound Attack led a uh, prospect tournament um, where a bunch of players showcased um, their talents and even younger players as well. Um, do you think that that was something that should have been done, given that a lot of teams at the AAA level didn't get an opportunity to play, especially within Ontario, where, you know, OHL scouts had a chance to go evaluate the talent even more so despite the minimal games that have been played? Yeah, I, I feel like that was a great idea, what they did there, and they just handled it so well. And I, I think that it was perfect for them. Is that something that maybe looking forward that they should continue that you'd possibly, you know, like to take part in as well, seeing that it is not only a showcase of, of that level of talent, but also it's kind of a showcase for select players looking to take that next step? No, yeah, I feel like they should definitely, if they're able to, they should continue that as best they can. And I would love to be a part of it one day. I would just, I'll work for that. And I hope to, that they continue it. And I hope that it just goes that smoothly every year. What's the one thing that you're looking forward to in your rookie season? Rookie season, I'm just hoping to crack the lineup. And if I do, I'm just going to play the best I can and stay dialed in and just not take anything for granted. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to not only crack the lineup, but to get to play in front of the Windsor fans. I know they can be quite feisty at times as well, being from the London area. But um what, uh, how important is it for you to have fans in the stands? Is it something that, you know, you're focused on right now? Or is it something that maybe, you know, first of all, let's make sure we crack the lineup. Second of all, let's make sure we get fans in the, in the seats. Yeah, it would just be great to have fans back. I mean, not only for myself, but anybody that likes to watch it. It'd just be great to finally get fans back. And hopefully we just keep moving forward with vaccines rolling out and everything like that. Did you think that there should have been more leniency in terms of, OHL and, G- and uh, AAA hockey in terms of, you know, a, a return to play, given how, you know, a lot of other teams at this level, they were trying to do some good things and try to make sure that the players were still staying active and getting in their game time compared to what uh, was being done over here. Yeah, well, I, I wish we could have played and uh, I wish everybody in Ontario could have played, but I understand what they're doing. They're just trying to keep everybody safe. And I guess we're just going to have to hope that we keep moving forward. Tyler, when the Spitfire selected you 17th overall, um, was there a call? Was there communication? What was your, what was your thought process when you, uh, when you found out that you were going to Windsor? I was, I was thrilled. I was so excited. Uh, it just felt great. Uh, I got a call a couple of nights before from one of, the, one of their scouts, and he contacted me. And then going into Wednesday's draft, I was just uh, excited and hoping that it was going to happen. And then when it – when it did and I saw my name on the board, it was just, I was beyond thrilled. Did they give a specific reason why they selected you? Is there one particular aspect of your game, personality that stood out that said, we want him a part of our team? Well, they like the way that I compete and they like uh, how the way that I move and they're just, they're just willing to have me take me on board and maximize my potential. 
They've got some uh, pretty pretty solid names on that roster right now. I mean, let's say for, let's say just for argument's sake, you make the roster. Is there somebody that you're looking forward to, not only getting to know in the dressing room, but also you know having an opportunity to play with? Yeah, well, they do have some top end guys, and I've heard Medina's name like all over the place. I've heard that he's just a great goalie and great person. I would love to get to meet him and learn from him. Um, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. How, uh, have you been watching the Stanley Cup playoffs? What has been your take throughout the whole entire thing? And obviously, young kid, a um, lot, lot of years ahead of you. Do you envision yourself in that, in that position at some point? Well, it'd be great to get there if I could. And I'll just keep working. But watching the playoffs right now, just Carey Price has just been unbelievable. And he's just the guy that's He's received a lot of hate, but he's just stayed calm and just look at how far he's got. We always ask, you know, players, not, not just goalies, but players in general, what they can or what they like in their game. But Tyler, is there something that you're looking to work on? I mean, you mentioned getting to know the, the, uh, the goaltender in Windsor and, and, and how important that would be to you. But is there something that you want to take away from, you know, even just watching a guy like Carey Price or, uh, you know, a guy like Andre Vasilevsky now playing in the playoffs? Um, is there something that you want to take away and kind of build your game off of, continue to de develop in your game? Yeah, well, obviously the way that they move is just so smooth and so quick. But at the same time, they're just staying as composed as possible. Like you rarely see them scrambling on their feet or down low or on their sides or anything like that. And I would just, I just love to be able to move like that. And I'm just trying to take everything like that away from them. Any advice for somebody maybe falling into the same position for you, not just not just at the OHL level, but anybody that's been passed over, let's say at the NHL draft, U16s, U18s. I mean, you're somebody who this was kind of a, a bounce back year for you. This was a year where you played with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Is there, is there something that you can, some advice you can give to players that may fall into that same position? Yeah, I mean, obviously it'll be disappointing at first, but if you just stick with it and just keep moving forward, not let anything hit you hard. And just as long as you just keep flowing forward, you're going you're gonna to get there eventually if you keep working hard. Well, Tyler, I don't want to take up much more of your time. Obviously, we started it off with a little bit of technical difficulties on my side of things. But uh, we appreciate you coming on. And, and hopefully, we can uh, maybe get you back on uh, when you jump on that Windsor roster and, and let us know how that OHL season goes. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, Peter, like I said, Tyler, you know, straight to the point, great kid, um, you know, modest. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's what we see with a lot of these young guys. Obviously we've had Andrew Parrott on, we've had, you know, a former teammate of Tyler's uh, Gavin Bryant on the show. And, and the modesty that these kids show sometimes is just, you know, incredible for a 17 year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And again, like you said, modesty. And, you know, he's and given with the talk that we had with him, he's very determined. He wants to go in. He wants to make an impact right away, given the fact that he was passed up in this 60 uh, U16 draft. He wants to make his mark. He wants to go out and do the best that he can. And he's going to put his best foot forward. And th that's the kind of character that you want to see in uh, these kind of drafts. You get get that opportunity and run with it. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that uh, isn't afraid to admit that, you know, there's still things that need to be worked on in his game. And and that's what you love about these kids is that they know, hey, 
it, it doesn't come easy. It's, it's a matter of finding those opportunities and, and really, you know, running with it. And that's exactly what he did uh, leading up to the U18 draft. So best of luck, Tyler and Windsor. And we hope to get you back on the show, as we mentioned. Um, but with that, we have our Maple Leafs talk and the Wayne train is back in Toronto. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Perfect. What are you? What are your thoughts on Wayne Simmons back in blue and white? Added the whistle and everything, man. Perfect. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Great price. I mean, given the fact that you know a lot of people were questioning the 1.5 million he earned on the one-year deal, it was not warranted for an extension at that price. But you know, to agree to the 900k over two years. I like it. I think it his contract mirrors the, the same thing of that as, you know, Pat Maroon on Tampa Bay, and he seems to be doing a good job of it right now. And, you know, some are still skeptical about bringing him back after the postseason and what he did. Um, it's fair. I mean, I expected more from him as well. I thought that he was one of the players that his spot was in jeopardy, given the, how inconsistent his play was down the stretch. Um, he was brought in to be a physical force and to play tough, to go in and chip in offensively every now and then. And that was looking that way before his wrist injury. And even though we didn't see it then, seeing it now and his interview that he seems to be more determined and reinvigorated and wants to go out and help this team succeed. I think that, you know, he means business. He wants to prove the doubters wrong, including us, um, that, you know, he is here to, to make his mark. And if he can replicate the, the Wayne Simmons that we saw in the first few games before the wrist injury and what we're seeing with Pat Maroon right now, if that can translate perfectly, then this signing is going to come out great. Yeah, no, I think my my only issue with it um, is why the heck didn't Jason Spezza get two years? Uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't mind the signing at all. I I love. You know, he's coming back at a good price tag. Um, you know, he's a guy that obviously wants to play in Toronto. He wants to succeed in Toronto. You know, just just the things he he said all the right things after signing. You know, uh, how devastated he was after the the uh, the loss to Montreal. How how you know frustrated he was to see some of his teammates getting called out in the media including on this show mm-hmm. um you know how how much he wanted to be there with his family and 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 be able to sh- you know let them see him in blue and white as they grow up and um you know just the impact that he has on the community as well uh, i think it's a great signing i think he is in reinvigorated he did talk about how he's feeling healthy he's feeling good he's feeling you know fresh he's feeling like he's ready to get back in there that's the Simmons that we want to see now my question comes to you know we talked about this during a 56 game season we are going to be talking about it during an 82 game season for the next two years is this a guy that can really carry the load over that 82 game season and still have, you know, an impact come playoff time with with knowing knowing darn well that you're probably playing, you know, seven to nine minutes a night. Yeah, I think that's going to be the million dollar question there. Um, given his role, given the fact that he's going to see limited ice time, 
Um, and again, I, I think that if he molds it into that Pat Maroon style where, you know, maybe he gets 15 to 18 points for a regular season. And if he's throwing the body around fighting like, you know, we saw at the very beginning when he dropped the gloves with Ben Sherratt, that's the Wayne Simmons that we I thought we should have saw in the playoffs and set the tone at the beginning of each and every single game, especially in five, six, and even seven, which we did not see. Um, I think that, that if, if it does get to that point and even throughout an 82 game regular season, and even if he needs to sit at some, at certain points, um, so be it. I mean, at least it keeps him fresh. If he's coming in and out of the lineup and he's going to be re- rejuvenated and have that energy and that tenacity every single or in the games that he's playing, I'm all for that as well. Um, I just, I, I again, I, I, I love Wayne Simmons. I know he's not the same player that he was in the past, that 30, that 30 goal, 50 point guy. But man, his, his energy that was the main thing that he was brought in to do and it was just missing. And I hope that he can redeem himself because he brings a ton of energy and you saw it. Everybody lights up when he walks into the room. So if that's the case, bringing him on for that, for those two years, for him to do his job, so be it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I want, I want him to succeed in Toronto. Um, You know, this is a guy who puts his heart and soul on the, on the line every time he steps on the ice and, you know, he, he did, he did, you know, drop off a little bit in the latter part of the year, but um, whether that was due to, to injury fatigue, you know, obviously the season was a little bit different for these guys. So um, a lot of games crammed into a short span, um, you know, it, a lot of things could have played into it. Uh, I, I'm not going to make excuses, but I also want to, want to see this guy come out and have a good season with the Leafs next year. So um, I don't mind the signing. I love it. I love having a guy like that in your bottom six, a guy that's going to go out and defend your players when needed. Um, and he, and he's, you know, what better guy to have than a, a Toronto, Toronto boy like, uh, like Wayne. So welcome it, back Wayne train. Imagine if you, we all saw the Corey Perry hit on rest of Sandine leading to Yoel Armia's first goal in game five. Imagine Wayne Simmons doing that, setting the tone at the very beginning of game six, forcing a turnover, and he gives the puck to, let's say, Adam Brooks or Jason Spezza, and they wire it past Carey Price. I th- if, if he sets the tone like that, every single shift he's out there, again, money well spent. Simple. Yeah, I mean, if he does that, are we still talking about uh, a team being $18 million over the cap and up 3 nothing in the Stanley Cup final? I think that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> oh, no, we're going to have to put Austin Matthews or John Tavares on there and figure <laughs> that out. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, moving on from Wayne, um, two, one this, this one it really caught my eye on Twitter this week. There's talk that Frederick Anderson might want to be back in Toronto sharing the net with Jack Campbell next season. Now, this this brought to my head a number of questions. Uh, one, what kind of money is Anderson going to be looking for? Because in his postseason uh, press conference, he he did mention, he I believe his quote was, I know what I'm worth. And 
Now that's coming off a season where you you know normally he would have 55 games under his belt with with relatively good numbers. We're talking about an injury riddled season where he couldn't really get it done in net. Um, so that that's my first question. My second question to you is if he comes back, and and this is completely hypothetical, but if he comes back and shares the net with Jack Campbell, who is your go-to when the Leafs, and if the Leafs, make the playoffs? I mean, uh, you, you got to go Jack Campbell. I mean, there's no other way around it. What he did in Anderson's absence, um, yeah, Jack Campbell had his moments where he didn't have good performances, but the fact that he was consistent in making the saves that he was supposed to make instead of letting in weak goals that we saw Anderson do um, this season, it really is a no-brainer that it, it is Jack Campbell. And he, you brought up the fact that he says he knows what he's worth. I mean, reality, it, it has to sink in right now that he isn't going to be the starter. If he's coming back, he ain't going to be making starter money. That's going to be saved for Jack Campbell. If he's coming back, he's definitely going to be earning, you know, I would hope no more than $3 million because if he is if he is saying he is what he's worth and he knows that, then he's going to be getting that kind of money on the open market, but you're not going to get it from the Maple Leafs. Um, simple as that. Uh, it, again, I'm betting... I, I'm not really a betting man, but Jack Campbell is my guy. And if Frederick Anderson is coming back, then it, it isn't going to be more than $5 million of what he's making right now. So then I, I'm going to throw two more questions at you. Is this – how do other free agents look at this? Do they see it as, you know, here's a guy who wants to be in that dressing room. Um, does it really amplify what what the Maple Leafs are as, as a unit? Um, and – yeah, I completely blanked on my second question, but um, yeah, I mean, do you look at this and, and and kind of say, you know, this is this is kind of a reminder of what the Leafs have in that room, and you know, maybe this draws some more free agents in, in uh, knowing that uh, Anderson wants back, or is this more of a move by Anderson saying, you know, I don't think I had the best year, uh, I'm going to go with the safe bet in re-signing in Toronto. Yeah, that, that's a good one. If he's saying it, if he's having that mentality, like, I know what I'm worth, you're kind of already thrown off by it, given the fact that everyone is already turning on Mitch Marner with his $10.9 million contract, saying that, oh, he choked in the playoffs, but he's good in the regular season. He's not worth that money anymore. So you're already trying to, if he signs that kind of money, you're you're back at square one where you were with, you know, Mitch Marner, except it's Frederick Anderson right now. But looking at his numbers, it, it it's a steady decline, you know, from when he started his goals against average 2.67, 2.81, 2.77, 2.85, all just under three this season. Save percentage 918, 918, 917, 909, 895. Those the last you could argue that maybe last year it was subpar goaltending, but usually you want to get maybe 
nine ten nine twelve as a starter. So for three out of the five seasons, he had starter numbers. The last two are not starter numbers, and that to me is very worrying. If I'm Kyle Dubas, if I'm if he wants to stay and be a part of this team, great. But I'm going to give you the money of what you've been worth the last two years because. It's just not going to work out. We see time and time again the amount of easy goals or soft goals that he's let in. And you you don't want to bash on the guy too much because he has done a great job and faced a lot of shots and a lot of work in the crease. But I find it hard to believe that if he's going to resign, he is going to have to take a cut. Yeah, and for me, this kind of goes off of what I was going to ask you as well is, I, I think it's detrimental in a way to bring him back. Look, I, I get the idea of needing two capable goalies if you have one go down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I think to, you know, prospect like Viva Lainen. Yes. And at some point, you have to find a way to get this guy into games at the NHL level. Um, Same with Eric Cogren, too. If he's going to be worth something. Yes, exactly. And and, and I'm not saying throw these guys into the fire by any means. But with bringing a guy like Anderson back, you have two very capable goalies. And the opportunities are going to be very slim for for goaltenders in the pipeline. Um, Something that Toronto has struggled with for a number of years is developing their own goaltenders. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, now we look at two goal goaltenders in in uh, Anderson and uh, Campbell, who both are not Toronto products. So I, I mean, that's another thing that I kind of I, I you know want to bring to the table as well when thinking about you know whether or not the Leafs should sign Anderson. Is I don't think it's a bad move. I think you really have to ask yourself these these big questions. Is this the right move going forward? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, personally, I, I'm with you. Um, he hasn't offered much in the last couple of years. It's not it's not us bashing Frederick Anderson. What he's done over his, his career with the Leafs has been, you know, certainly helpful to the team. The numbers in video don't lie. <laughs> yes, exactly. But the, the, the past two years have been a struggle. And mm-hmm. if that is any indication of, of where his play is going – the money has to dictate what he's been doing for you lately. Yeah. The best part about professional sports in signing um, contracts is what have you done for me lately? It's not what have you done over the past five years? It's what Mm -hmm. have you done for me lately? And And lately, it's it's not looking good for Frederick Anderson. And it's also what am I getting? I'm paying for what I'm getting. Like you said, lately and what I'm getting right now, not what you're going to do, what I'm going to get right now. Yeah, no, and yeah, I mean, if they want to bring him back, great. If they if they don't, I think I I made peace with that uh, midway through this season when Jack Campbell yeah. was on an absolute tear. So, mm-hmm. but even so, like you're looking at like some of the other goalies, the market is thin. If you're gonna have to get another goalie, you're gonna have to go through a trade. I mean, Tuka Rask said he wanted to stay in Boston. Philip Grubauer is probably going to re-sign with the Avs. You can probably sign Peter Morazic as a backup for this team. You could probably get him at a cheap hit, uh, cheap hit, cheap cap hit, sorry. 
Um, Chris Drieger is a name that um, is possibly coming up to sign. But then again, he's got some starter-like numbers. Who's to say that maybe Seattle takes him as their starting goaltender in the expansion draft or signs him? I don't know why I said expansion draft because he is the UFA. But if they do sign him, he deserves it because he's had some really impressive numbers uh, the past few seasons. So, yeah, if you're going to go for a goalie, make sure it counts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Two more names before we close this out. Uh, The fourth period mentioned that, uh, you know, Toronto was linked to Connor Garland and Seth Jones. And you've been on the Connor Garland train for quite some time here, Peter. Mm -hmm. Um, A guy that has (laughs) obviously, as we mentioned, a lot of offensive upside, a little bit of a grittier type of player. Um but it has benefited his game. And, and still, as I should mention, very, very young player as well. Um, and when I say very young, I'm talking 25. So still very early in his career. Doesn't look like things are working out for him in, in Arizona. I don't think they're on the same page. Again, this is, this is from the outsider's insider. Um, but what are your thoughts on, one, potentially bring in a guy like Seth Jones, who would be your guy going the other way or, or, you know, not, I shouldn't say going the other way. Who would be your guy that is coming out of the lineup for the Leafs and then Connor Garland as a potential top six guy for the Maple Leafs? Yeah. So I was, I've never been right about anything or I'm rarely right about anything when it comes to like ideas potential trade ideas and everything like that. But when I wrote that Kemper Garland piece, it was mentioned that Kyle Dubas was in on Connor Garland before they switched to Nick Foligno. And that was the closest I've ever been to being right about anything. So the fact that his name, Frank Saravalli, I read his first piece at Daily Faceoff that Garland was ranked fourth on his list. And then the fourth period came out with their summer trade watch list it reassured me more that, you know what, this is now another opportunity for Toronto to try and get this player or Garland who could essentially replace Zach Hyman if he does walk. And I mean, I, I think because of the, what are two things can happen? Obviously you're Arizona may want to get the most out of him. So if you're looking for the most out of him, you're probably looking at giving up a defenseman in Travis Dermott, who might be on the outs looking in anyways with the expansion draft. Um, Throw in a couple mid-round picks possibly as well. Or even if they're looking for a roster player, Alex Kerfoot, you could rest assured that if he's still here past the deadline or the expansion draft, or even if they move him beforehand, you could at least try and get him off your hands and you don't have to worry about him. Um, given the fact that you free up 3.5 space, if you could sign Connor Garland to around maybe, um, I'd say three, 4 million, cause he's making coming off a two year deal where seven seventy five K per season. I think you're looking at that. I think, I know I mentioned Kerfa, but I do think that, you know, a defenseman in Travis Dermott can be also a very good asset going the other way. If you're looking at a prospect, you're looking at Mikhail Abramov, maybe, who's looking pretty good, making an impact. Um, may not get his chance here, but he may get it elsewhere. Um, 
those are some key factors in a Connor Garland deal that I'm looking at right now. Um, But yeah, it's just the fact that Garland would improve so much with his forward death. And looking at his underlying numbers, he there's a site called Puck IQ where they track your percentages, you know, your Corsi for your goals for your TOI against elite mid grinding level competition. And Connor Garland has fared relatively okay against elite level competition. His best year came last year where he had 51.8 Corsi for um, and 23, 73.7% for goals for percentage. And he faced 26.5% of his ice time against elite level competition. So fairly good numbers for that year. He also fared well or did his best against middle competition. I'm guessing it's because of how he was utilized, but given the fact that he can play in a top six role or play against middle competition where he can do his damage, he's going to be an impact player no matter what. Yeah, I know I couldn't have said it better uh, myself. Um, I do. I do think that uh, when it comes to Garland, he's definitely a guy that, you know, the team's going to be looking at, uh, I do, as I mentioned, think that they go after him prior to looking at re-signing Hyman. I think that their option is Garland. I think Hyman's their, their secondary option, um, when it comes to, to that replacement role. Um, as for, as for Jones, um, yes, I completely forgot about Jones. No, that's okay. I know. (laughs) I like, like I said, I know you were on the Garland hype train from the beginning. So, Mm -hmm. um, for me, Jones is definitely a great opportunity to have him in the lineup. The 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 one thing I, I keep coming back to is one cap space, two, who's you, who do you move out? Who do you move out of that back back end? And maybe it is a Morgan Riley. Um, you know, we've talked on a number of occasions about Morgan Riley being the guy that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of talk about Jones wanting to seek other opportunities um, outside of Columbus and, you know, what better place than, a you know, the Mecca of hockey. But I just, for me, the Jones one is a little bit more of a stretch. I think Garland is really the, the one that uh, you'll see Toronto go after. You'll see Dubas go after, but I mean, I do have to remind everybody listening that Dubas did mention that, um, don't be surprised if if there's a big name that lands in Toronto this offseason. So that that to me opens the door to to a number of possibilities and and potentially, you know, maybe that is Seth Jones. Maybe that's that's what they're looking for is to to, to tighten up that back end just a little bit more. Remember uh, there was a, about a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, on the Steve Dangle podcast, Steve Dangle podcast, Chris Johnson said that there is a player Maybe that they're looking at American team, missed the playoffs, good cap hit. Obviously, I think a lot of people were pointing to Travis Konechny as that kind of player. I know Connor Garland doesn't have a lot of money or doesn't have a high cap hit or I mean, he does have a reasonably good cap hit, but he's an RFA. He doesn't he's not counting towards salary. They could sign him, but maybe Connor Garland is that player. I don't know. Um Given the fact that they were looking at actual salary, um, I don't think he he would fit in. But what if it is Connor Garland that they, it is that big name, and maybe the salary just you know it just happened to be that number. 
But going back to Seth Jones for a quick second, I'm like you. I don't I really don't know how I feel about this. Because on one hand, he finished fourth in Norris Trophy voting in 2017-18. Steady decline in his play, his underlying numbers, his possession numbers against. Um, how much of that is attributed to being on a, you know, Columbus Blue Jackets team that has gone south the past few seasons as well? Um, how, like, is that a factor in the fact that maybe people are saying, oh, he's a bit overrated right now, given the fact that he was a Norris Trophy winner, now he's got subpar numbers? Maybe. Um, again, if there is a team that could, re- like, you know, find the best fit for him, it probably could be Toronto. Um, but if it's a high price hit, I'd be wary. I'm looking at something like this. Um, two things. Defense, it wasn't a glaring issue. But if you replace someone, you're replacing someone like Morgan Riley, whose offensive instincts just really didn't cut it out. If you are looking at something, I think you're looking at bringing in Dougie Hamilton to replace the offensive output of Morgan Riley. You already have a two-way guy in TJ Brody, Muzzin, um, and even Justin Hall at certain points. He looked really good. Um, granted that there were certain points where he wasn't, but you have two guys in Muzzin and Brody. If you trade for him, this is point number two for me. If you trade for him, he already has a cap hit of about $5.4 million. Um, looking at other numbers, it's going to be, or other players that could be, that Toronto have been late either to in the past or recently, what have you. Seth Jones is making $5.4 million. Obviously, UFA, Toronto could re-sign him. I think if he's going to look for more money, I think you would wave off on a Seth Jones deal because you're going to have to worry about, you know, the Matthews and Marner and Tavares when they're up in a few years. I don't think they they may resign Tavares, but you want to try and keep Matthews and Marner and Nylander to fold for as long as you want. To give Seth Jones big money after this contract, it's going to hurt them big time. So if there's a one-year contract that the Leafs would like to take on and possibly re-sign or get a better chance at signing, I'm looking at Josh Manson, who has a 4.1 million cap hit, or Matias Ekholm, who's at 3.75 million. Those would be better options to make a trade half for a year and then re-sign who you could get still equal to or even more value than Seth Jones and have a cap hit at roughly under $5 million for both. Yeah, no, and again, I think we talked about Ekholm leading up to the deadline. Um, mm-hmm. Nashville definitely looking to make some moves. Um, Ekholm could be a potential uh, a potential guy that the, the Leafs look to bring in. I, I'm with you. I just don't see Seth Jones being that guy. Um, you know, I don't want to say he hasn't lived up to expectations, but he, I don't think he made it to where teams thought he was going to be when he was first drafted. Um, I think teams were projecting him as sort of like kind of what Roman Yossi is right now. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I just don't think he's kind of met that that standard. But, you know, again... I think we we judge it on the fact that he's been in the league for for such a long time, but he's still a young guy. Like he's still fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's kind of been tucked away in Columbus for the time the time that he's been there um, on some questionable teams at times. But again, I'm with you. I don't think the defense was really a blaring issue in uh, in, in this past season. Obviously, the addition of TJ Brody. Um, you know, losing Muzzin definitely hurt. Hall was, you know, hot and cold at times. I think you give Sandine a full year. I think you're starting to talk about yes. bringing up Timothy Lilligren. There's opportunities there. Um, you know, and I don't think bringing in, again, like like signing Anderson, I don't think bringing in Seth Jones really benefits your, your team in the long run. Yeah. That uh, that said, I, we also put up a poll on the Sticks in the Six podcast Twitter um, not long ago that, uh, you know, I asked, can you see Morgan Riley being dealt this offseason? And, and that kind of just stemmed from all the chatter that had been going on, one, over at the Hockey Writers with with our Leafs team, but also, you know, across the Twitterverse. Si- out of 80 vo- votes, 63.8% of you said that he is still a Leaf. He's always going to be a Leaf. Nah, he's a Leaf. 36.3% of you said absolutely, yes, he will be dealt. So uh, right now, if it were up to you guys, you armchair GMs out there, it's not looking good for Morgan Riley being dealt, um, which would also mean that a guy like Seth Jones won't likely be coming into the Leafs lineup so keep that in mind but yeah I I, I don't know I, I think more than more than likely we're going to see Connor Garland I think past that um, you know a guy like Seth Jones is a, a bit of a stretch for the Leafs right now mm-hmm. definitely and I have a question to ask you this was I saw this on Saturday and it kind of ties into what we were talking about Pat Maroon earlier um, this is uh, from Thomas Trance um, uh, on Twitter. He was engaging in a conversation with Justin Cuthbert. And he, Cuthbert was uh, talking about Pat Maroon here. And Thomas Trance posed a question to him. It's a would you rather, would you rather earn $12 million in your career and win as many Cubs as Pat Maroon or earn $25 million in your career and make it to the final but never win it like Benoit Pouliot? And this is kind of tying into the whole, you know, Maple Leafs players, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews kind of contracts. What would you do in that situation? Twelve million in the cups any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I, I look at it, yeah. The way I look <laughs> at it is, you know, if, if you if you and treat your money properly, I think you know the twelve million set you up for life, regardless. The, the experience that comes with the cups is just something that I, I you know we we can only imagine we can only imagine what he gets to go through each and every year that he's there uh, and the fact that he's likely gonna win three in a row um, you know you can't you can't make that stuff up and mm-hmm. you know if you're maroon obviously we know how how he can be an, an emotional guy but um, yeah I mean for a guy like that, I would take the twelve million in the cups any any day of the week. Your name is etched on the Stanley Cup as many times. That's right. You're you're enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame even if you never get the call. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And my thing is too, if I earned twelve million in my career over that time, even if it's like nine hundred thousand a year, like what Maroon is making, 
I'd make I'd make the most. I don't spend a lot of like if I were to make that kind of money. There are only three three or four things I would want in my life that it, it crosses off like a bucket list kind of thing. Obviously, you you want like a nice place. You want to try and get a nice house. But if I were to spend money on like just splurging or anything, it would only be on three things. One, I would want a massive pool in my backyard. Two, I'd be getting a Lamborghini. And three... I don't know what else I'd be doing with that money. So there's technically only two things I'd be doing with that. So if that accumulates over your career, if you don't spend a lot of it, that's like you said, that 12 million, you're set for retirement. All you have to do is invest it properly. There's a lot of people out there that can help you with it. But uh, (laughs) yeah, for me, I mean, 12 million for me, it's, uh, I don't even need an extravagant house. I, I, you know, a nice house, uh, where I'm comfortable. Um, I don't, I don't care if I'm driving, you know, a Jeep Wrangler to, to, to <laughs> practice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm okay with that. For me, it'd be about traveling the off season with, with my family and, and getting to see some of the, the greatest places on earth and, in you know, going, going to see Scotland, Ireland, places like yes. that. I've always wanted Travel. to do an African safari, um you oh, know that would be nice yeah though th- those are the things that i would cross off my bucket list and um if it meant living in you know a nice little two-story and out in the suburbs um you know i'm all for it i'm all for it give me those three cups baby <laughs> i i can't help but throughout this whole entire talk i'm just playing bare naked ladies if i had a million dollars yeah that's right <laughs> yeah except it'd be 12 million dollars <laughs> There you go. We got it. We got to We got to update that song. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Good question though. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, that'd be, that'd be the way I'd go on that one. But, um, as always, Peter, it's been a pleasure talking to you this Sunday evening, uh, getting ready for game four, the Stanley cup playoffs, uh, or Stanley cup finals, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, again, to all you guys who tune in week in and week out, we appreciate the support. We've been doing this uh, just, you know, jumping on one night as a, as a, uh, you know, a podcast. We started in in lockdown with this pandemic, and slowly we're working our way uh, out of this pandemic. Now, sticks in the six team is fully vaccinated. Yes, um, we're hoping to get back to a little bit of normalcy in the next little bit. But uh, as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in to episode forty six of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you can download and listen to your podcast for our latest episode. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so you can we can continue to bring you all kinds of content. Speaking of content, hit up our YouTube page. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Don't be afraid to comment. We always love the comments. We'll get you on the show. We'll talk about your comments. You know, we might even make fun of your comments, depending on what you say. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I do have some some great news that I am v- looking forward to sharing, uh, hopefully next week. Um, but until then, have a great week. Enjoy game four of the Stanley Cup final, and we will touch base with you next week for episode 47 of the podcast. Go, Bolts, go. Go, Bolts, go.